And so we began to gather as groups. And of course, we were looking down our spiritual noses. We were talking about how corrupt the church is. It was the them and us that began to form. And, and this became... This became the beginning of the end, not the end, but the beginning of the corruption of my life. Mm. And, and what happens, Todd, is bitterness and pride breathed life back into a crucified flesh. Hello again. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to the show. On behalf of Disciple of City, I'm Todd Carlton, and this is the Toddcast. For information on how you, your organization, or your church can be equipped to share the gospel and make disciples, go to everydisciplesent.ca or send an email to information at discipleacity.ca. My guest today lives just east of Toronto, Ontario. He's a facility supervisor for a local school board. He also pastors a home church in his area and has found time to write five books, including Fasting to Freedom and Foundation to All Freedom. Here to share his story is Ron Lagerquist. Hey, my friend. How are you? How was that? Did I get it? It's beautiful. (laughs) Thanks for coming today, man. I appreciate it. It's wonderful. It's been great chatting with you uh, pre-recording this, and I'm excited, man, for what you want to share with your heart today. Good, good. Interesting finding our secret studios here? Yeah, yeah, it's covert. It's uh, very low, yeah, secret. Good word for it. But we found it. Yeah, you found it. I, I, I met your dog's neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, the Lord liked to go and uh, go off and pray, so we just found this studio here, and that's where we like to bring people to so, hear their hearts. places to pray. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Ron, we we uh, talked before, and there's lots of things that uh, you could share, different things that you like to talk about, fasting, and there was several things, but. Um, I, I just caught your video on YouTube, a little short seven, eight minute testimony. Right. And so, um, yeah, let's just start from, you know, your faith when you grew up and sure. and stuff like that. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, just to kind of give a, a wet people's appetite, uh, I'm actually going to talk, uh, part of my testimony is going to be how I completely overcame uh, crippling anxiety and depression. So that's a part of my testimony. So I just want to kind of put that out there at, at the front end because it kind of, uh, a lot of people, especially in my, like I have over a hundred employees and, uh, that work for me. And it's remarkable just, just how many, the percent of them, especially post COVID and during COVID is struggling with anxiety and depression and, and how God has been able to use me in their life. But let's start from the beginning. I was raised, um, in a very religious home. Uh, and a very religious church, uh, which remained nameless. And um, so I was introduced to God in a way that is different than my understanding of God today. Let's put it that way. And, and a much more kind of angry, oppressive, uh, legalistic, in the sky somewhere God, and I'm down on earth very sinful, wicked, and and there's a big gulf between, even even with Christians, the way they communicated back then, there's this big gulf between a very holy God and a very sinful Christian, 
right? And so that was my early introduction. And I think there was some sort of six years old going forward and, you know, asking Jesus into my heart type experience that I can remember. It was kind of blurry. Um, but I don't believe that there was really any any sort of spiritual salvation that happened there or even an understanding of what I was doing. Um, the other thing is I was raised in a very dysfunctional home. Uh, there was a lot. Uh, my parents broke up. Uh, there was a lot of uh, confusion over, you know, how Christianity and how Jesus is being represented in my home. And so suffice to say, my, by the time I was around, I guess, between 16 and 17 years old, I began to experience profound emptiness and depression and I began to self-medicate with alcohol. In fact, to be honest with you, finding alcohol is one of the best things that happened to me at 16 years old. It was like, at least in the, in the, in the, in, in kind of, uh, the way I felt then it, it felt like it was my salvation mm. and because it actually made me feel good. And, uh, because I was so morbidly depressed, but I mean, I don't know if you've had any experience with alcohol and with weed and stuff. It's great on the front end. And then you end up just chasing a dragon. Yeah. And you never get that buzz. And and so I just, you know, as as I tried to get more and more of that good feeling of escaping the really just the, the, the dreary, dark, confusing life that I was in, um, I just became, you know, I just drank more and I did more drugs and tried harder drugs until finally I just realized there was no end to that that emptiness. And so I became very suicidal and actually com tried committing suicide three times. Wow. As a teen, as a teen. Wow. That's right. And, uh, and yeah, know, chasing the dragon is exactly yeah. the expression. And, her. and when you discover the thing that you're holding so much, uh, hope for, which was the alcohol and, and, and the drugs that they really, they don't hold any, any sort of solution for the kind of despair that you're feeling. That's a horrible place to be because you just feel like you're trapped in your darkness. And, and to, to me, God was not even an option. He was so distant at that time. Um, um, you know, I can look back on that and actually, uh, I can actually f know that even though at the time I didn't understand it, he was working in a, in a kind of a way that was very subtle and loving and, and protective. But I only see that in hindsight. At the time, I was unaware of that kind of overarching love that God was having for me in the, those dark moments. Um, were your parents split up or were yeah, they still? Yeah, my parents broke up. I was really messy. It was really awful. And, and uh, my mom was my best friend and she was gone. And so, and I didn't make friends while well. I was very dysfunctional in my ability to connect with people and make friends. Uh, I got beat up a lot at, at school. I was very scrawny and, um, and just didn't speak well. And, and I, I think I, looking back now, I, I, I believe I had anxiety. I couldn't, I would stutter. And so kids would make fun of my stuttering. And so I was just really lonely and really, yeah, just like totally alone. You say your mom was gone. Like, did you have contact with her or was she gone, gone? Uh, she was pretty gone out of my life. I mean, she was in Toronto and we really didn't, uh, we had some level of contact, but it was very, you know, it was very spotty 
and she was not in a good place. She was also going through her terrible times and struggles on a spiritual level. Oh. Um, so we were both kind of bad places. So, yeah. And I was very, I became very bitter towards her and I began to hate her. So I really didn't want a relationship with her. So it was really a breakdown. Um, and was your dad aware of your suicide attempts? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. It was, yeah. but he, he, you know, he was a working man and he worked hard. He was a good provider. Uh, you know, and he, I think he did the best he can, but I, I just don't think he had the tools to know how to, 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 to really do anything about what was going on with me. Besides he was going through his own really difficult times. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, um, at 18 years old, uh, I had, I was uh, up on charges of breaking and enter with intent. I was, uh, in, in, in possession of guns and things like that. So I was starting to go down the crime route. I didn't care about my life. I didn't care if I lived or died. And, uh, so I was looking at jail time and, and, uh, and also I was doing a lot of drugs and I, and my dad couldn't trust me alone in the house. Uh, so he would go off to a Christian Bible camp and, uh, he would normally leave me, but he couldn't, you know, he couldn't trust me because I almost burned the house down doing bottle tokes in a fruit cellar beside my, uh, uh, beside my, uh, my, there was a little fruit cellar and, and I was in there and stuff caught fired. It wasn't good. Right. So he couldn't trust me. And, and for good reason, you know, and so he forced me to go to this Christian Bible camp. And, uh, how, how old were you then? I was 18 years old. Hmm. It was the summer of 18 uh, years old. And so, uh, I went to this Bible camp and I was really miserable. I hated it. Uh, I had, I had enough weed for about half the week of being there and then it, uh, <laughs> marijuana, I should say. And I ran out yeah. of the marijuana. So now I'm, I'm sober. It's not funny, but now yeah. looking back, it's right. To, to go to, and I'm walking around and I'm trying to go off the, there's like a docks place. So I was trying to score some weed there, but I couldn't. Um, so I'm sober and I'm jonesing and, and, uh, you know, I'm walking around and then for some reason to this day i don't understand i decided to go to chapel now you have to understand todd i've heard the gospel a bazillion times i was born and raised on it so it had in my mind it really didn't have a whole lot of, it wouldn't have had a whole lot of impact on me i've heard it all before you know and so i go to chapel and i'm sitting in the back i got my acdc shirt on and and i've got long hair and and i'm flaunting my 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 rebellious attitude and all these people sitting around it was so disdainful of them you know and they looked so prim and proper and i just thought there were a bunch of phonies in my mind back then understand yeah. i was very yeah. angry right and this guy at the front was droning on about something and i can't even remember what he was saying and i'm sitting there like this and all of a sudden i hear god speak to me for the first time in my life i hear god actually speak to me mm. like it was clear as a bell and he said to me now my dad had had enough of me i had no friends even my friends didn't really want to hang out with me because i was such a loser who wants to hang out with a depressed you know guy that's just miserable to be around and i was sitting there and god spoke to me and he said i want you to be my son mm. and the way it was spoken into my soul was so passionate. It was like, I want you, I want you. And you talk about identity, you know, and it's like, nobody wanted me. Nobody wanted me. I didn't want me. I, 
I was a miserable person and I, and, and I couldn't imagine how anybody would want anything to do with me. And I didn't care about anything. I didn't care how I looked. And he wanted me to be his son. Me. <laughs> you know? And so I got up in that moment and ran out of the chapel. And I tore down the hill. I was sleeping in a tent where it's like a campground, right? And I, and I, and I was sobbing. I was sobbing and, and like I was broken. Like, like the implications of what just happened was crashing in on me. Mm. God of the universe. It's insane. It's insane. Directly takes the time to speak to me and say he wants me to be his son. And so I went, I went, I, 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 I ran into the tent. And I laid on the ground and I rolled over and I looked up and the presence of God in that tent was palpable. It was overwhelming. It was like he was in that tent with me and he was hovering, I believe, uh, above me in that tent. And I laid in the tent and I immediately began to, to see all of my sin and my rebellion and everything that I've been doing. And all the blaming of my parents and the blaming of my circumstances were all stripped away. And I, I was stripped away of excuses in that moment. And I realized that I've been running from the one person that actually really loves me. And I could feel, I could see all throughout the years, I could see these little moments where I I bumped into the presence of God. But at the time, I really wasn't fully aware of what it was, but it all came together, all in that tent. You know how they say when you die, your whole life goes before you? Well, the recreation is a death. And I saw my whole life flash before me, my 18 years flash before me in that moment. It was like a death experience. And I knew what I had to do. And I said, Lord, if you're real, if this is real, I said to him, I am so sorry for all of my sin. And, I, and this is what I said to him. I said, and I can't use the words because I used the F word, but I said, I will give you my heaven life. It is so screwed up. But if you want it, it's yours. And the presence that was in that tent came into my body. Wow. And I became filled with the Holy Spirit. And I knew at that moment that I was going to live the rest of my life in ministry for the Lord. And I came out of the tent, a totally transformed person, like black and white. I walked into the trailer, and I remember my my dad and my grandparents were there. I walked in and I said, I just gave my whole life to Jesus, and I'm going to spend the rest of my life in full-time ministry. And they're like... Like, you know, yeah. they're probably in there talking about how what they're going to do with me. And so my father was just shocked at the change. And and he uh, he called the, you know, the high school who had who had Dyer CMP came in and they checked my locker. They found drugs and they charged me with possession and selling. And they uh, so they kicked me out of school. And the principal was actually a, one of the elders at our church. And my dad, I remember, and what a beautiful thing for him to do. He called the path, uh, the the uh, the principal of the school, and he pleaded with him, "Please let uh, let Ron come back to school. But you will not believe the difference in him. He's like a different person." And he said, "Well, we got an issue with him selling drugs in the school, but we'll bring him back in a probationary period." So. 
So I go back to school and I was the guy who, you know, was selling drugs. I walk in there with a Bible under my hand and I walk with that Bible and I walked into the concourse and all these people are around and they used to call me Bendo. Or because that's right, you know what that means. I do. Druggy, right? And they walk in, hey, Bendo, dude, you're back at school. I said, you're not going to believe what's happened to me. I have totally given my whole life to Jesus. It is the most awesome. Like, it was just so authentic. It was just this totally authentic expression of this most remarkable thing that could ever happen to my life. Mm. And they were shocked. So they're probably wondering what you were on. Right. Some of them did. A lot of them made fun of me, but a whole bunch of them became Christians. Come on. Oh, yeah. Wow. I was just an evangelist on fire for Jesus. You know, you get a brand new Christian. They, you don't have to tell them, well, you win the Super Bowl and that's your team that wins. You don't have to tell them, you should go around and tell everybody how excited you are. They'll tell people how excited they are. And that was me. Yeah. I had won the Super Bowl. My team had won the Super Bowl. So I was not shutting up. So I just began to get into, like, I mean, I went to my church. I began, uh, they immediately began putting me in position of leadership. I started a a solo singing ministry. I began to take over the college and careers. And then I wasn't, I, I started really, I began to read the Bible, like insane. Like I was just consuming the Bible to the point where my dad was actually concerned because I was spending so many, so many hours in my, in my bedroom just reading the Bible, but I just couldn't get enough of it. And I began to see things in the Bible that was contradicting my church. And so I began going to my pastor and, well, you know, it's like, I know we say that speaking in tongues isn't for today, but it, I don't find that in scripture like, or why are, you know, like all these questions, you know, because I was in a cessationist church, but I didn't see cessationists being taught in the Bible. And, you know, he would try to give me all these answers, but they weren't satisfying. And so I began to get really, <clears throat> I began to realize that maybe my pastor is wrong about some things. Well, that got all kinds of pushback. How dare you, brand new Christian, you start questioning, you know, this and that. And that just started a whole movement. Like I began, and then I had this vision and this idea that why are all these churches separated? We're the mm-hmm. body of Christ. So I began to go to other churches, into youth groups, and 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 say, hey, let's get together. Let's go down to the park in uh, in in Oshawa. You know where the dome is there, that park down there in Oshawa uh, Memorial Park, and let's just start meeting there, and let's just start worshiping, and then we'll just start sharing Jesus with the people walking by in the park. And, and we started doing that. And, but then my church said, no, you, uh, we do not want to confuse our young people by them being involved with Catholics and all these other religions. Because there was, a, there was a Holy Spirit movement in the Catholic Church back then. There was an actual church in Oshawa that was really beginning to experience the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And so I began to go there and it began. I didn't care what denomination it was. I just want people who are lovers of Jesus. Yeah. Right? And so I had this vision. But... The more I did that, the more pushback I got. And I became disillusioned with that, I'll be honest with you. <clears throat> and so uh, I started to go, I, I applied for Ontario Bible College, and I, got, uh, I was able to go to Ontario Bible College. And I was so excited about that, because I expected to go to, like, we're talking Bible College. Dude, Bible College. Like, we're going to see angels walking up and down the hallways. We are. Like, it's going to be an angelic experience. It's going to be like a portal to heaven. Bible college. We're going to study the word of God. 
Yeah. That is not my, that was not my experience. Unfortunately, back then, uh, it was a very liberal college. And again, uh, you know, I began to do things like uh, have communion in the college, breaking bread with, with other in, in the dorm. And I was told, you can't do that. This is not a church. You can't have communion. Uh, I began to bring, uh, get teams and going down to uh, Young Street and began to reach out to the homeless people. And then I bring them back to the to college and I baptize them in bathtubs. You can't do that, dude. You can't, you can't start bringing people. So the profs started to get upset at me. And, and some of these homeless people would camp in the, on the property and among the trees. And it was just a big, yeah, a big thing. And, but, but there were a lot of young believers that came to this Bible college that were hungry like me that wanted to serve Jesus and be filled with the spirit and, and experience his presence and preach the gospel. And they wanted that. And so there was this group began to form and it started, it was just a handful of people in a, in a room, but it grew and grew and grew and grew until this huge group of people, it was busting out. We're just hungering and thirsting for more of God, more of God, more of God. And you know, as well as I do, that's how revival starts. It starts with hunger. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like, and some, you know, people who come together that want more, they want more. They're not happy with what's going on. There's a, there's something more than just religion. It doesn't work. Right. It's like, they actually want God. I mean, let's face it. I mean, in that, in that tent, I was marked. Yeah. Where do you go from there? God spoke to me personally, said he wants me to be my son. Right. And I just expected that that's what it was going to be like. Now, I understand that God tests our faith and, and it's not all like rainbows and butterflies in God's voice every every five minutes. We, we grow in our faith. But uh, I, I through Bible college, I became disillusioned. But something happened, Todd. And I want to talk about this. I became disillusioned, but I also became two things began to form in my heart that I was unaware of at the time. Bitterness, mm. bitterness and pride, mm. bitterness and pride. Those two, I call them dark towers. Yeah. The Bible calls them strongholds. The Bible's teaching about strongholds is they are things that we built belief systems or 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 sins that we built in our heart that allows demonic excuse me influence to begin to influence and that's what began to happen in my life i began to become proud i got a messiah syndrome i began to think i was better i knew more and instead of wanting to work with those people around me i began to think i was better than they were i had a greater revelation right and so I began to, I moved, I, I went back, I, I dropped out of Bible college, disillusion. I felt, first of all, Jesus and the disciples didn't have degrees, right? So I don't need a degree. Uh, I'm just going to do this my way. And in my way, in my mind was, you know, me and Jesus. It was the me and Jesus show. Right? So you were, so you were in a place where you still felt close to God and hungry, but bittered at the the establishment and that's here's the problem okay the problem is is that flesh cannot commune with spirit yeah and so the more the more i was getting bitterness is a very serious sin 
It is a sin of the flesh. Pride is is the sin of all sins. Yeah, and it, and it starts small. It becomes the Bible calls it leaven. But the problem is a leaven or a little bit of yeast can leaven the whole lump. It corrupts everything you do. And that's what began to happen in my life. I began, and I was not really aware of it. Uh, I, I felt justified, right, um, in, in my pulling away from what I called organized religion. So I started home churching and, and I started doing things in my own home. I started gathering, honestly, gathering around me disenfranchised Christians who were also bitter, right, and had pride. They, they had enough of organized religion, and so we began to gather as groups. And, of course, we were looking down our spiritual noses. We were talking about how corrupt the church is. It was the them and us that began to form, and, and this, became, this became the beginning of the end not the end, but the beginning of the corruption of my life. Hmm. And, and what happens, Todd, is bitterness and pride breathed life back into a crucified flesh. Hmm. I want to say that again. This is really important. Bitterness and pride breathed life back into a crucified flesh. You and I know that when you become a Christian, you get not only to get forgiven, but you get set free from the power of sin. Yeah. You right? You believe that? Totally. You get set free from the power of sin. You can live a life of purity before the Lord. You know, we know that in Romans 6, right? It's like you've died to sin. How can you live in it any longer? Yeah. But we also know that Christians can sin, right? And, and we see that with Adam and Eve. We see that Adam and Eve, they didn't have a sin nature in the Garden of Eden, and yet they chose to sin. So we can choose to sin as Christians. And in some ways, when we choose to sin as a Christian, it is more, it is more devastating than when a non-Christian chooses to sin. It's more devastating. And we'll come back to that again. But I want to say that again. When a Christian chooses to sin after they have been born again of the Holy Spirit, it is more devastating spiritually than when a non-Christian chooses to sin. Does that make sense to you? Because there's greater legal ground that the enemy has in their life because they know what they're doing is wrong. They, they, They are aware of it, and yet they do it anyways. And... Becoming a Christian doesn't mean you lose choice. You actually increase choice. It means you have greater choice. Because now you can choose to be holy and righteous. But you can also choose to go back to the vomit. Yeah. And what I was unaware of, I knew that I was having pride and I was having bitterness. But I did not understand the level of destructiveness those two demonic towers I was erecting in my soul would have for 35 years of my Christian walk. Mm. Not that it's anybody's fault, right? But would you say that, uh, was it a discipleship thing? Like, were you discipled after you came to faith? Or, or like, because going to Bible college, I would suspect, I didn't go, but I would suspect it's a lot of theology and stuff, like teaching you theology. Absolutely. So, so and this is a fascinating, this Paul, is a fascinating dilemma when you tell a testimony. Because the last thing I want to do in my testimony is make excuses for my sin. Totally. There's a difference between an excuse and an explanation. So what I'm doing right now is giving you an explanation. I'm telling you my story. 
But under no circumstances did I have any excuses for what was going on in my life. I made those choices. And I knew deep down in my heart, I began to feel more distant from the Lord. And when we, you know what happens when we start when intimacy starts getting broken from the Lord, we rely more on theology. Yeah. Right. Our relationship becomes about our theological, like our, our understanding of theology. And that's what happened. I became more focused on theology, I became more pharisaical, like a Pharisee, yeah. where they're focusing on the actual, like the law and the theology and, and, and criti- critical of the whole theology. I'm more concerned about getting my theology correct than I was about my intimacy with my father. Right. Yeah. It started in the tent with pure, perfect intimacy and a recognition of my absolute need for God. But as I those those towers of bitterness and pride began to well up, I became less dependent on the Lord. And there's all kinds of terrible things to begin to happen when those things happen. And so what happened was uh, I began to to move farther and farther away from the beautiful presence of the Lord. And I began to feel empty again. And guess what we do when we feel empty? We try to self-medicate again. So here I was, I started, I got back and I, I started drinking again. I started drinking because I was feeling, so I'm ministering, but I'm also now I'm drinking. I'm secretly drinking because I'm beginning to feel this emptiness inside. I'm not like I'm explaining all this really clearly to you right now, but at the time it was a muddly mess. Yeah. That makes sense. Oh yeah. So I didn't understand what was going on. I just felt, I just felt, I just felt lost again. I'm a born again Christian. I really got saved at 18. No question about that. But here I am and I'm feeling lost again. And so I began to self-medicate with alcohol and medica- self-medicating with alcohol began to open to other doors, like, because it lowers your inhibition. Yeah. And because I had pride, I began to start, I was married, and began to start womanizing. I began flirting at work, you know, and that led to having an affair and then having another affair. And what happens over a period of time, you, here's the thing that's really important to understand about sin in the context of a Christian, is that sin hardens your heart. In more ways than it would even before you were saved, because now you are willfully sinning. You are, the more you're aware, the more, the more God's presence has been revealed to me, to you, the more responsible you are in the choices and decisions you make. And, and so I was willfully sinning against God and I knew it. I knew it. Now I had all kinds of excuses at the time, I excused my broken childhood. I, I believed that I was dysfunctional. I had all kinds of mental illness. I was depressed and anxious. And so I had all these excuses that I was able to wrap around the sin. But the reality is there was no excuses. I was sinning because I wanted to. Yeah. And it puts you in turmoil because you know that your encounter in the tent was real. And so when you're in turmoil, all kinds of really dysfunctional things happen. One of the things that happened is now Satan is able to present to you a God who is angry and wrathful, and you are now full of shame and you should know better. And so you are like Adam after the sin, trying to 
hiding in the bushes, trying to put clothes on yourself because you know you've sinned against this this wonderful, beautiful God that you were just walking in the garden with a day before that. And so I began to pull away from the Lord because he was no longer my best friend. He was now the God who was judging me and judging my life. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so for 35 years, I went through cycles. I went through cycles of sin and then repentance, and I would go through a period of time of real fruitfulness. This is when the books were written, and this is when I would be, you know, surrendered. But then I would go back into, you know, uh, go back to sinning again. And this happened two or three times, and it resulted in two broken marriages and three children that were really deeply and devastatingly affected by a father who was on one hand, walking with the Lord and loving the Lord, and then crashing back into alcoholism and womanizing. Any questions so far? <laughs> well, you're on a roll. Well, I just... Well, yeah, you know what? Um, yeah, just with your kids, if you want to just share with your kids, because obviously your passion, you want to share that passion and the truth. You want your kids to know the truth, and then they see you fall back in that, so then it makes them... No, it's, utterly, at, it's utterly confusing. Confusing and makes it hypocritical. Because, you know, absolutely, and 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 it's a rep, it's it's an absolute devastating representation of God. Um, and that's what happened. But we're going to get back to the. We're going to swing back to the kids because we're going to get to the, the the the. There's good stuff coming. I promise you. There's really wonderful, wonderful things coming, and so. What I began to sense happening, especially into my 50, I'm 62 now, but into my mid-50s, is I began to sense a hardening. And where the sin didn't bother me as much. Does that make sense? It didn't grieve me as much. And... Uh, I was sleeping better. It wasn't like I was going, like normally I'd have night terrors, go to bed and I realize that, oh my gosh, I would, I am, I am in a terrible place. I, I am in a very serious place. This is not a good place. This is here. God called me at 18 years old and I wanted to be full-time ministry. And I went through real periods of time of extreme fruitfulness, right? Of really like people, like when I'm on fire with Jesus, people get saved, Right. So there's real fruitfulness there. But then I would roll back into, uh, you know, sin again. Uh, Because the two things I didn't realize were there. I would deal with the alcohol. I would deal with the womanizing. But I didn't deal with the bitterness and pride. Mm. Especially the bitterness against my mom and dad. Because the whole time I felt like I was justified, I guess, in... I just felt like I'm never going to be a normal, healthy person. I got a lot of therapy, right? And the therapist would always say, well, you had a traumatic, terrible child. You were, you know, there was abusive things going on. You were in situations where you were sexually abused at a, at a, at a, I'm not going to go into details, but there was some really serious stuff that happened in my childhood. And so when you go to therapy, you know, they, they kind of give you excuses, right? Um, of, of all of that. And, and, um, I think I felt justified in some ways with the bitterness and with the with the uh, 
Uh, and with the uh, not so much the pride, but definitely the bitterness. And that's interesting too, right? Because therapy can be really, really good. But sometimes if they give you an excuse and you have this bitterness, it's just it adds like an icing to the cake of bitterness. Do you know, so, what, you know uh, what I mean? Yeah, like that's good to know because really, uh, that's good to know because I did not, I did not realize if therapy could, could be good. You tell me it could be good. Well, for some people, it's, it can be good, right? But obviously not for you. Well, I don't know. Totally. I don't know. Maybe, like, I would love to hear of where therapy actually benefited a Christian. Uh, yeah, I think the best therapy would be somebody sitting me down and saying, repent. Yeah. Nobody said that. Yeah. Nobody told me to repent. Well, that's, yeah. One word. Be that. <laughs> Anyways, okay. That's probably an oversimplified simplification i'm sorry i didn't say that right anyways no but it's true and we were you know not that we're trying to cast judgment on therapists per se but no i i i know personally a christian therapist who who will you know who can deliver good therapy but it, it it's rooted in christ right so it's coming with that repentance it's not coming with labeling and excuses yeah and, that's good different things that you maybe you start to manage your stuff but you're riding on. That's good. Right? You know what I mean? You're riding yeah, I on do. The excuses. I, I just feel like, uh, and we'll talk more about this as we get along in this story, but I just feel like for me, I came to the re- realization I can't heal the flesh. I need to crucify it. Yeah. Right? And therapy tries to heal. And for me, you can't heal, heal the past. You, has, you have to crucify it. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. You are a new creation in Christ. And, and so when you look at what the Bible, what the actual word of God has to say about the flesh and about the past, but we're going to go to that because that was a revolutionary thing for me, uh, you know, about not trying to heal the flesh, but crucify the flesh. Yeah. That's what really set me free, if you want to know the truth. So anyways, moving along. And, and me, to be honest with yeah, you. Like, is that right? The, the understanding of what it means to crucify the flesh, the total understanding of what it means to die oh my gosh. to yourself yeah, is, God. is what actually sets you free. Man, I'm feeling the spirit right now, dude. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying, I, I, I was just, I'm just Holy Spirit. Come, just come in this. I just pray whoever's out there listening to this, that you would set them free with this information, that you would guide the words that we're speaking, guide Todd and I. So, so I, I began to sense a hardening of my heart. And uh, I don't think there's anything more scary because when you're blind, you're blind. You're blind. Yeah. If you can't see your sin anymore, where do you go from there? If you can't feel the conviction work of the Holy Spirit anymore, let me just read you two passages that... That has rocked my world, and they kind of hovered over my head, especially over the last couple of years before I fully gave my life back to the Lord. And it says in Hebrews 6, 4, It is impossible for those who have been once enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, who and who have fallen away to be brought back into repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Now, I know there's a lot of controversy over that scripture. I understand that. 
But can we just move away from that for a moment? And, you know, do you, can you lose your salvation or not? Let's just, let's not try to answer that question. That scripture's there for a reason. And it's sobering. It's a sobering scripture. And it's a warning. Can we at least all agree on the fact that is a warning scripture? And I know that scripture. I knew that scripture off by heart. I knew that off by heart. Hey, this is another one. This is Hebrews 10. And it says this, if we deliberately, if we deliberately keep on sinning, this is written written to the Hebrew church, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. If anyone Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished? Who has trampled the Son of God underfoot and who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them? Okay. And then it goes on and says, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And... Those are very serious, sobering passages. And those, and when you're not walking in obedience to the Lord and you're walking in deliberate disobedience, there is no assurance of salvation, nor should there be. And, and when you're in that position, and there wasn't for me, there wasn't. And that's all, that's fine throughout the day when you're playing around and womenizing. And uh, it's, it's fine on the nights where you drink yourself into a stupor and fall asleep. Uh, but on the nights where you're not drinking, on nights you're alone, you hear those scripture verses and they haunt you. And I would say to people who are Christians who are deliberately sinning, especially men with porn, that's one of the most, that's one I struggle with too. If you want people to come along and assure you of your salvation when you're continuing to walk in sin, I don't think that's appropriate. I, I think there's an appropriate response of the fear of the Lord, because as my story goes on, you're going to discover that it was the fear of the Lord that brought me back to repentance. And I'm thankful for the fear of God. And I never, ever want to live without having a sense of God's, of, of the fear of the Lord, because it's the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of wisdom. So let me get back to my story. That was a little uh, side note. Um <clears throat> So uh, I was tooling along, and my, I could feel my heart getting more hard, and I began to do a little more praying and seeking the Lord and, and began to try to be more obedient in the areas of, of uh, sexual sin, which was a big sin for me. And what allowed sexual sin to exist was alcohol, because I wouldn't probably have gone down that road without alcohol, but, um, uh, because it, it dulls the, the, the conscience. But that has a really serious effect on your heart. And we know what hardening of heart, what the Bible talks about hardening of heart, right? And how serious that is. Um, excuse me. And if you want to know, I believe that's probably the unpardonable sin, is, is where your heart becomes so hard, you are revealed Christ. And he's clearly revealed to you. Right. And, 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 but, but instead of responding in repentance, you respond in hardening your heart. The gospel has the ability actually to cause repentance and hardness of heart. That's part of the fruit of the gospel. People who preach the gospel must understand that they're going to get those two responses. Both are fruit. 
Both are fruit of the gospel. And you saw that in Jesus' ministry. You saw a hardening that happened uh, of people to the point where they actually crucified the, the Son of God on a cross. That's how hard their hearts were. You saw that in, in, in Judas. You saw that. I mean, there's Judas who, who saw the miracles and saw everything that the other disciples did. But his heart continued to become harder and harder until he literally could portray uh, uh, the Son of God. It's, it's, and then he hung himself, right? Yeah. So I just... It's sober. I know we're talking about it's sober, but I, I want it to be sober. Because while I was praying today about what I was going to speak about, I really felt that for some reason we need to go there where, where you know, most people don't. Because God took me there. And my testimony of what I'm about to tell you is what, what totally turned me around. And I will never, ever go back to a sinful, that cycle has been completely broken forever in my life. So this is what happened. Amen. I became, um, I went from being a lead custodian in a, in a school where I was overseeing the operations of a single school, and I got promoted to becoming a facility supervisor where I was overseeing at that time the operators, operations of 38 schools, including five high schools. And the... House of cards that I built for myself that was operating under the one job could not hold up under the pressures uh, and the stresses of being a supervisor. And about a week or two into becoming a supervisor, I had a major anxiety event. Uh, something that's on, if you've never had an anxiety event or an anxiety attack, you're not going to understand what I'm going to say. And how, how devastating it was. It literally changed my brain. It, it caused, uh, I, I had, the, the anxiety event was so bad, I lost consciousness. I lost a sense of, of time and space. I didn't know where I was. I thought I would have to take myself to the hospital. It was that serious. And what happened after that anxiety event is I began to cascade into a, a what's called generalized anxiety. I was experiencing anxiety on a daily, moment-by-moment -moment basis. Mm -hmm. I went from being a womanizing, arrogant uh, man that had the capacity to attract both people. I, I was an attractive man in my personality. I was very outspoken. Uh, I was usually the strongest person in the room. Uh, I was the one who was the life of the party, made everyone laugh. I was clever and smart uh, to being uh, I couldn't even look at people in the eye. Uh, I lost 30 pounds. I couldn't eat because of the anxiety was so bad. So I became scrawny. I couldn't sleep at night. Uh, I became morbidly depressed where I didn't even, I was concerned I was going to kill myself or I'd become so suicidal. It was bad. Like it was devastatingly bad. Within three or four months, I was a scrawny, exhausted, uh, black under my eyes, couldn't make eye contact, could barely be in meetings. I mean, I had, I had to go to schools and visit schools, and I'd, I'd drive around the schools trying to get up enough courage to even be able to go into the building. And I became a totally different person. I was completely shattered. So you're right back to where you were when you were 17, 18? Worse. This was worse. Huh. Yeah, this, I was, yeah, it, 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 it made me realize that I've always probably had some struggle to some degree with anxiety, but this was just, this was devastating. I mean, I couldn't eat. 
I was having a hard time gagging down food because I was, I, I, I lost my appetite. It was bad. My doctor uh, gave me a life sentence, basically. I went to my doctor. He gave me really very dangerous medication and gave it to me and said, uh, you, this is genetic. It's in your family. You're going to have to live with this for the rest of your life. It just happened to uh, manifest later on in your life. That's unusual, but it has. And, and here's the medication. The medication was probably more serious than the actual anxiety I was going through. And, and I kept it on my, on my shelf. I tried everything. And for about four or five months, I was, I was devastated. I didn't know what to do. I laid on the floor at night after my job, and I would lay flat on my floor, weeping and crying and pleading for God to take the anxiety away. Please, God, I'll do anything. I'll do anything. I heard nothing. It was like heaven was like a, a stone, cold stone wall, nothing. And, and what hap- began to happen, Todd, and this was, this was and, and I believe it was demonic, but I also believe God uses demons. He sent a, he sent a, 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 a demon to Saul, and he also uh, to Paul to keep him hum- humble. So I, it was demonic, but it was good. It ended up resulting in good fruit. I know it was good by the fruit it bore, is that I would be assaulted by the faces of my children and my grandchildren and the devastation that I caused in their life. And it was because of me. And what happened on that floor is I was stripped of excuses. You did this because you wanted to. This has nothing to do with your childhood. This is nothing to, the the, the demon that would comfort me and try to control me into bitterness was now the demon that was accusing me. And it just was constant. It was the worst thing I've ever experienced. And on the floor, as the image of all of these people that I had failed in my life, people I ministered to, and then later I abandoned because I started drinking again, they all began to just go before my eyes. And as I saw them, I repented. I said, oh, God, forgive me for that. Oh, God, forgive me. And at first, Todd, I was repenting because I wanted to get out of the anxiety. I need to just get out of this. This, this can't, it, I, what's going on here? I need, somehow this, this needs to leave. And so at first, that was my motivation. I wanted to be free of anxiety. But as time went on, the months went on, and I wasn't getting better. I was getting worse. Something changed in my heart. And instead of beginning to want to be free of anxiety, I started to want to really reconnect to that young man in the tent at 18 years old and to get back to that man in the tent that was in love with Jesus because I began to remember how many places in the Bible does it say remember 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 God says that to the Israelites all the time and I began to remember the joy I had and the intimacy I had with the father and how beautiful that was before those towers of, of, of bitterness and those towers of pride were built. I began to remember. And so what began to happen is my prayers changed. Instead of asking God like a genie in the bottle to fix this anxiety, I began to pray that God would truly cause repentance in my heart. I don't know how to repent. My heart has become so hard, but please bring a heart of repentance to me. Take this heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. And I began to plead with him to bring that heart back. And he did. He did. He did. 
day by day by day, as I began to pray more and more, I could change, I could feel my heart changing, my heart softening. And it was, it was incredible. Did I feel the presence of God? No. Was God speaking to me? No. But I did feel a change in my heart. I still was in terror. Todd, I'm convinced. I was convinced on that floor I deserved hell. 100%. I willingly sinned all those years. No excuses. When all the excuses were stripped away and all that was left was my own sinfulness, if God were to send me to hell, there was a point on the floor where I actually would have fully agreed with that judgment against myself. I would have said, yes, Lord, I deserve this. Those are the kinds of moments that forever change you when you experience that. And so that continued. And it continued into the summer. Was my anxiety taken away? Nope. Was it any better? Nope. Was I hearing God's voice? Nope. It was not. Did the fear of, of God's judgment and, and, and hell, was it lifted from me? Nope. It was not. But what changed was my heart was changing. And I didn't realize just how much it was changing until after the fact. So during the summer, I had my son. He came from Texas, and uh, he lives in Texas. And I spent a week, a year with, or sorry, a month with him. I didn't. I don't even know how I got through that month. Honestly, he was 15 years old. I felt no 14. I felt terrible because I couldn't be the father. Normally, I'm like this really outgoing. I'm a bodybuilder. I'm super energetic. We do all these things outdoors. I could barely walk outside my front front door. It was terrible, and and I felt so shameful and guilty. And when I took him back to the airport, that's always a very difficult time to see my son go up that that ramp onto the airplane, even in the best of times. It's full of shame and guilt because that's my son and it's my fault. I know it's my fault, not my ex-wife's. It's my fault. And I knew that always. That one thing I knew. But this particular time, it was devastating. So I'm at the airport and I can't even barely function. I'm Dude, I could like... Seriously, I could barely walk because I have the compounding thing of watching my son leave. The guilt of a, a month with my son that was horrible for him. He just couldn't wait to get home because his dad isn't even functional hardly. And I could, and I didn't like. I wasn't even sure I was going to be able to get to my car. Like I thought, I may have to call the ambulance. And so I lay down on the bench, and I just laid there and closed my eyes, and I could hear people go and and like. Everything was weird. Like when you're in an anxiety event, everything like sound is weird. It's called derealization. You have like weird body stuff going on. It's really awful and scary. And I'm pleading with God. I'm crying. I don't know if people notice I'm crying. I'm saying, please, God, I just need to get home. Please, God, I don't even know how I'm functioning like this. Please, God. And God spoke to me for the first time in months. And this is what he said. I heard him clear. He said, you are my son. I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. That's all I heard. He reaffirmed what he said to me at 18 years old. It's like all those years didn't matter to him. 
I was absolutely blown away. I hung on to it. Here's the crazy part of it. You would think all the anxiety would lift at that moment. You would think I would be able to spring up and everything was fine. Nope. I was still having under, I was still having a major anxiety attack. But the most bizarre thing is that my body and my brain was malfunctioning, but now my spirit was alive. Mm. Something came alive in my spirit. And that's a really strange experience because it's like my spirit was trapped in my body, but my body was not functioning properly because my brain was so damaged with the, the months and months of just anxiety. Anxiety damages your brain on many levels. And so I found my, I hung on to that with dear life. I found my way to the car. I went home. I got back on the floor again. And I had a revelation on the floor because all of those months while I was on the floor and I didn't hear God speak to me. I, I just, to me, God had forsaken me. Have you ever read the scripture in, in, uh, where Paul talks about why have you, you know, forsaken me? I'm crying out. My body is in pain. And it's just to him, he just feels like God has utterly forsaken him. I totally understand that feeling now. And I'm laying on the floor crying and then I, all of a sudden, a revelation comes to me, Todd. And the revelation is the very fact that I've been on this floor crying and on this floor pleading for repentance, that was the work of the Holy Spirit. I couldn't have brought myself to that place. I'm incapable of bringing myself to that place. That whole process that had been happening for four months was actually the process of the Holy Spirit tenderizing my heart and bringing me to a place of repentance where now I'm not praying to get free from anxiety. I'm praying to be free from sin and to walk in, in want to walk in holiness. And I, I got off that floor with that revelation. I realized all this time I was thinking God was not speaking to me and yet he was moving and changing and working with me, even using the demonic attacks as a way of tenderizing my heart. And I want to read scripture to you something. And you probably know this scripture, but I want to encourage those who God is disciplining. It's very profound just while you're searching for that of uh, not praying to be freed from what your body's experiencing, but praying to be freed from sin. And that's, that is a pivotal change. And that's what God was waiting for. Cause don't we all pray to be freed of something yep. we're physically experiencing? Yeah. And, um, that was a pivotal moment. And it, and it was, it was, it was not even something I was fully aware of until after the fact and looking back and I began to see, Oh wow. At first I just wanted to be free of something. This was killing me and I wanted to be free of it. And over a period of time, there was a tenderizing that was happening in my heart. Todd, a hard heart is the only thing that God cannot save. Wow. It's brutal. He cannot save. You have eyes, but you do not see. You have ears, but you do not hear. Yeah. Like it's serious, man. When your heart gets so hard with sin, especially in the, when you have received the knowledge of truth. And I, I will tell you this. I came a hair's breath away from a point of no return. I'm convinced of that. And it's not because God 
was was forsaking his son. It was because I was forsaking my God. Yeah. And and doing it in a way that I didn't even realize and it was so gradual. And God, I'm going to read this to you because this is perfect timing for this. It says this in Hebrews 12:4. It says, "In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood." And you have completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. My son, do not make light the Lord's discipline. That's a warning. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what ch- children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate nor true sons or daughters of God. Moreover, we all have human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. Oh, oh. no. Come on. Holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And then it says this, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. And what I recognized when God spoke to me at the airport, you're my son and I'll never leave you and forsake you, is that the suffering and the pain that I was going through was a sign of, of my sonship. I didn't know it at the time. It was a sign of who I was in Christ. And that just changed absolutely everything. Here's the funny part of it. I'm no longer interested in necessarily being set free from anxiety and depression. Now I want to be set free from sin so I can share in his righteousness. So I, I saw my brain is like a tuning fork and his voice like a tuning fork and I wanted to be in tune with each other. I wanted my brain to be back in tune with God so I could commune with him and hear him and listen to him. And I knew that the renewing of the mind, according to Romans 12, with a, was a process. But the Bible says that once you have a renewed mind, you can test and approve his good and perfect will. Yeah. Right. And so that's what I wanted. And so I went to work, hard work, and I welcomed his discipline. I began to pray differently on the floor. I said, Lord, discipline me. Lord, I pray, put your fear in my heart. May I never, ever look to the left or to the right. And I began to welcome his discipline. I said, search me, O Lord, and find anything in my heart that is unpleasing to you. And show it to me, Lord. I pray that I may see it. Show me, no matter how wicked or despicable or terrible it was, reveal it to me so that I can see, so I can repent of it. I want to repent. Repentance became a hobby. Do you have a hobby? You have a hobby? Yeah. <laughs> What's your hobby? 
I have lots of hobbies. Okay, but, you have lots yeah. of hobbies. Well, I have one hobby. It's called repentance. Amen. And it's awesome. I love repentance. I, I try to repent as often mm. as I can. Repentance is so powerful. It's the one thing you can do to respond to truth. Repentance has two meanings. One, to go in one direction and change and go in a different direction. And if you're going towards hell, my suggestion is change your direction. And the second thing is it's the change of mind. Right. And that's what I wanted. I wanted a new brain. My brain was damaged because of sin. Right. And I wanted a new brain. So I went to work and I just repented of every opportunity I could repent. I went to both of my ex-wives, my first, my first ex-wife who I hurt so badly, who's still suffering because of the, of, of messing around on her identity was shattered. At Christmas, I saw her for the first time in years, and I, I, I said to her, you did not deserve the way I treated you. And she started to cry. She never cries. Her daughters, you can, my daughters will tell you she never cries. And I said, you did not deserve what I did to you. You did not deserve. You deserved a man who treated you with love and respect and honored you. And I am so sorry. God called me to honor you and to be a blessing to you. And instead, I did the very opposite. I am so sorry. You didn't deserve that. And we ended up for almost an hour holding each other in each other's arms, weeping and crying. And the Holy Spirit fell. And our, my daughters are like, just shocked watching this not even like what's going on one of my daughters like what is even going on here it was incredible and since then uh my first uh ex-wife and myself we we've been fellowshipping together she's growing spiritually there's healing happening second wife same thing i didn't commit uh, I wasn't unfaithful to her physically, but I did. I was. I I was looking at pornography, and and that's unfaithfulness. I'm sorry, it is. Yeah. Okay, and so I called her, and I apologized. I told her I'm so sorry, and then I sat my. This is one of the hardest things I ever had to do. I sat my 15 year old son down. Down, she protected him from knowing what caused the breakup of our marriage. I sat him down. I said, I'm now going to tell you the story of how our marriage broke up, and I confessed to the pornography. And and to to, to how un, how destructive it is, and he cried and said, "Thank you, Dad, for sharing this with me." And then, and then we phoned uh, Stacy, and I said, "I know you've been protecting him. Thank you for doing that, but I don't want my son to go down the same road I did." And she wept and cried, and there was so much healing. And she goes, "Oh, Ron, I can't tell you how much this means to me that you would do this for for Kagan, that you would do this for me. It was just unbelievable." And then I sat both of my adult daughters down, and I said, "I'm so sorry. I was not involved with my grandkids at all. I was living my own life the way I wanted to live it." And I said, "I'm going to get, be able to. I'm going to start pouring into my these grandkids. I want to start taking because they, they didn't have a father in life at this time. So I started taking the grandkids. I started watching them. I started building relationships and sharing Christ with them. And it's just and in going to different people who are really, really damn. I went to my mother." And I said, Mom, I've hated you. I use you as a scapegoat. And, and I'm so sorry for that. You were broken. You should, my mom's an orphan. She wrote a book called Outside the Gate about her, her life as an orphan. It was painful to read. That woman went through 
incredible rejection as a little girl. And I was able to read that book and I was able to love her. And, and now my mom is my closest friend. She is like, she's like a hero in my life. She is walking so fully of the spirits in with my father. I went and apologized to him for the bitterness I had towards him. It just began to build these relationships up again. And the, what the Lord did is he pointed to those two towers, bitterness and pride. And he said, you need to tear those towers down. Because you tear those two towers down, you will never have a problem with lust and all these other things in your life. You will break the demonic strongholds in your life that have caused depression and anxiety. Depression and anxiety were symptoms. They were symptoms of sin. Mm. Okay? And I began to see that. And so I be- as I began to walk more in righteousness, there was a renewing of the mind happened. And sure enough, guess what happened? Anxiety and depression began to get better and better and better. And I began to discover a kind of freedom I've never had before in my entire life, even even when I was 18 years old. And the Lord, Curtis, uh, you know, our friend Curtis, who's just a firecracker for Jesus, he's just un- unbelievable, was brought into my life and he began to, to pour, this was a huge deal, he began to pour identity back into my life again. God used Curtis to begin to pour identity, because at, at this time, I didn't want to get into ministry. I was ushering at a church, and I didn't feel worthy to do anything else other than usher at a church, because I was always somebody who just launched right back into ministry again. You know, I'm that kind of person, right? I'm going to start a church. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to get a website. I'm going to write books. I'm going to do missions. I'm just, you know, I'm going at this. But this time I went low and I went slow. Like Heidi Baker says, I went low and slow. And I started just, and I stayed uh, just ushering and serving in a church quietly. And, 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 and Curtis came in and said, you need to stop ushering at the church and we need to get you going. God wants you to be in full-time ministry. He wants you. And he began to pull me into ministry and that was just revolutionary for me. And then I had a prophecy spoken over me about my writing and the Lord just reinstated his trust in me again. I can trust you, Ron. You stay in a place of humility and forgiveness and never leave that. humility and and that will guard your heart against entering back into sin again into pride again and it's just been it's been amazing the the spiritual growth the opportunities like i've not only got over anxiety and depression like my brain has changed i have a different brain now and uh and and it, it it has got to the point now where i'm more bold I'm the boldest supervisor in the board. They come to me when they want, you know, representation and things. And the boldness I have now today is is beyond anything I've ever had before, but it's a boldness in humility. That's the difference. It's like I want God to be glorified. I love the ministry of John the Baptist. I must become less. He must become more. And uh, there's an image. There's a there's a uh, 15th century artist who drew John. And there's Jesus on the cross. And John is it, the Baptist is pointing to Jesus. And that's what I want to do. I want to point to Jesus. Yeah. I want to point to him. It's not about my ministry. Yeah. In fact, John the Baptist's ministry was doomed to fail. It was doomed to be disintegrated. Right. He ended up dying because some 
some floozy danced for a king and the king got his head on a platter. What a terrible way to die. So unceremonious. But he was a man was so humble. All he wanted to do was glorify the father. And that's how I want to live my life. I want my whole idea ministry to pattern myself around John the Baptist. And um, so right now I'm writing a book on how to overcome anxiety and depression because there were some, you know, there were some practical things I did. There were some dietary things I did meditation on the word of God. My, my key verse Todd throughout that whole process was trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding because my understanding was shattered. Like I couldn't trust my brain. My brain was a mess. I couldn't even speak clear. Like I was slurring my words because my brain was malfunctioning so bad. Uh, lean on, you know, also I was getting all these intrusive anxieties like that. You get all these catastrophic intrusive thoughts and I was able to be able to, uh, identify those thoughts as being deceptive and lying. And I began to identify them. My sheep hear my voice and a stranger, they will not follow. So the, the thoughts of fear became the stranger's voice. They became strange because they became familiar with uh, the voice of Jesus and the joy- voice of my father. And that's intimacy. And and so I practiced w- a cognitive behavioral therapy, which is basically labeling those intrusive thoughts as being lies and meditating on the word of God, on truth. And the Bible says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Yeah. And that's what I began to do. And it's just been a process like that. And uh, I, I mean, Holy moly, <laughs> what is happening? I'm 62, and I'm in the prime of my life right now, spiritually, and I just feel so full of joy. I wake up in the morning, Todd, and I'm like, I can't handle the amount of joy I'm feeling right now. This is overwhelming. I am so excited to be alive. Like, it's, you know, people at work, they, like, they just laugh at me because I'm the most positive. It doesn't matter what happens at work, and there are some really nasty things that can happen at work. I'm just like the guy that's going, yay, God, <laughs> you know, and, and um, oh, it's just, it's just, I, I am, I am so excited about the future. I am so excited about what God is going to do and how he's going to. And I, oh, by the way, the Lone Ranger thing, you know, me and God thing, that's gone. It's like, I want to, like, I want to, to be held accountable. I want to be a part of a team. I, I want to, I want, I want all of the fivefold ministry speaking into my life. Right. Uh, I want to, I want to be humble. It, and, and I, and, and I had no idea how much of a blessing it is to have strong men and women who are of God, who have the spiritual gifts, you know, prophetic gifts, uh, apostolate, apostle gifts, um, you know, uh, the gifts of tongue, all the spiritual gifts, and they're all functioning in my life through other people. And it is just, oh, it's just, it's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. So good. Yeah. Ron, I feel like we got we got to stop. Okay, uh, because this is very intense. Yeah, in a good way. Yeah, yeah. Right. This is really really intense, man. Will you come back? Because I'd like to chat with you more. There's a lot of a lot of stuff to talk about, but yeah. I just feel like I appreciate you being so blunt. Yeah, because we need blunt. Hundred percent. And what you read in the Bible, some of that stuff is blunt and it's yeah. not a fire and brimstone God, but it is the fear of God and it's the fear of God that brings the truth. Yeah. And what you talked about uh repentance. Yeah. 
we shy away from that in Christianity. That's insane. About talking about yeah. repentance, right? But it's it's part of it. It's so John the Baptist talked about it. Peter talked about it. What must we do, right? In, in the, at Pentecost, the first thing he said when they asked him, "What must we do? Repent." Yeah, and we shy away from it. And uh, there's no salvation without repentance. Yeah, uh, there isn't. And and yeah, I, you know, I, well, I don't know if we should, but I just real quick, the Lord revealed to me what the full gospel looks like. It just, it's just all here in Bible. You just got to read it in Scripture. It's all there, yeah. right? Um, and don't come at it with whatever theological construct you have, but just simply read it. Uh, it's all there, repentance. But we shouldn't, why would we shy away from repentance when repentance is the door that opens to heaven? Come on. Eh? Yeah. Like, why? What are we afraid of repenting of? Cancer? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the things that create anxiety and depression? Like, what? No. <laughs> Repentance is so good. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, it's a loving father that causes us, that calls us to repentance. Yeah. It's a loving father. Yeah. Absolutely. And that repentance is so key, man. Thank you so much for, for coming and please come back and let's talk some more. Let's talk some more about get deeper into your freedom from anxiety and depression and maybe that process because so many people are struggling with that. Christians and non-Christians are struggling with that and maybe come back and let's talk about that. I would love that. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't even get a chance. You just sleep here and we can just do it the next time. I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) You crash out in the green room and we'll do it again. The green room. Yeah. (laughs) Just murmur spiritual things to myself. Uh, Praise God. Thank you so much for the privilege of being able to share this. This has been, I definitely have felt the the Holy spirit and clarity. It's, uh, it's been absolutely awesome. Yeah. Thanks Ron. Yeah. Yeah. Friends, Ron, uh, Ron has a website called freedomuyou.com and it's got his books on there and Freedom You at Facebook as well and uh, you can hear more of his testimony but we are going to have him back just to talk deeper in it but that bluntness friends it's the Bible is full of bluntness and sometimes as Christians we just dance around it and it's it's damaging and it can lead to a, a journey of bitterness and pride and anxiety and depression and that's not the freedom that Christ talked about we gotta repent if you're discipling people you have to teach them repentance repentance is the root to joy happiness is temporary but the joy in the Lord is forever forever